Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jason Knight, and on each episode of this podcast, I'll be having inspiring conversations with passionate product people. If you want that in your stocking, you're in luck. Unlike Santa Claus, I don't care if you've been naughty or nice. Either way, you can head over to onenightinproduct.com where you can sign up to the mailing list, subscribe on your favourite podcast app or follow the podcast on social media and guarantee you never miss another episode again. On tonight's episode, we talk about that sometimes tricky relationship between design and product, but more than that, design and the whole business. We ruminate on why it's important for designers to be involved up front, why they shouldn't just be seen as pixel pushers, reflect on the characteristics of good design teams, take a peek into the darker side of design and think how we might avoid manipulating people with dastardly design choices. For all this and much more, please join us on One Night in Product. So my guest tonight is Wolfgang Bremer. Wolfgang is a dual citizen of two of my favourite countries, Germany and Canada, and is also a design leader and speaker who likes building products and simplifying people's lives. Wolfgang says that when he's working at a large company, he's always yearning to work at a startup, and when he's working at a startup, he's always yearning to work at a large company, proving that he's truly embraced the ambiguity of product design. Speaking of hugging, he wants us all to embrace design and designers, but sorry, Wolfgang, not whilst we're socially distancing. How are you doing tonight, Wolfgang? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for having me. Good. It's good to have you here. Uh, I'll give you a hug once we've got this all over and done with. Yes, please. I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) All right. So first things first, you're the head of design for Ellie. So what does Ellie do and what are you designing? Yeah, if I only knew. No. So yeah, right. I'm the (laughs) head of design for Ellie. That's right. So Ellie is uh, basically a brand of the Volkswagen Group. And we're working on everything which has to do with, let's say, electricity, EVs and all these kind of things. Everything but the car side of things. Yeah? So we are not building the EVs, but we are, you know, for example, building the wall boxes to charge the EVs. We're offering green electricity and, and all these kind of stuff. Right. So you're, are you designing like the charging stations and the software on the charging stations or the actual physical charging stations themselves? Or Yeah. So for example, for private people, if they have a... Usually when you buy a car, it comes in, in Germany at least, you know, with a charging cable in your trunk. And then you go, can go to a power plug, you plug it in and it charges very slowly. So the other thing you can do is you can buy one of our wall boxes, you install them in your parking garage at home, you drive home and you just plug it in and charges with a higher capacity, so it's faster. So that is one of the things we're working on, the, the ID charger, we call it. And yeah, so basically we are designing the experience, um, how to charge the charger itself, the hardware, you know, the, the thing you actually mount to the wall. And then on the app side or software side of things, the app and the tools uh, you can use on your phone and your computer to actually, you know, see what's going on with the charging and the situation. And this is mainly on the B2C side of things. And then we have also products for the B2B side of things, for example, uh, fleet charging and all these kind of things. So it sounds like quite a big portfolio there. What would you say roughly the percentages of like physical product work that you're doing versus digital then? Because a lot of people would sit there thinking that the physical stuff sounds harder because you've got to build stuff and you've got to build physical prototypes rather than just making a bunch of software and updating it over the wire. Like, how does that balance out for you? So for me, hardware is new and it's very exciting. And it's also terrifying, obviously, at the same time, <laughs> because you cannot just, you know, push out a patch afterwards to, you know, change the, yep. the hardware. <laughs> you know, you, you, already, you have to design it. You have to think of all the use cases early on. And then you, of course, have to manufacture it. And it, there's a whole, like, like the lead time is very long. Yeah. And then once it's at the wall, you can only, you know, maybe patch via software certain things here and there and roll out new features. But done is done. And the definition <laughs> of done here is very strict. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 
And Ellie's part of the Volkswagen Group, so it's a pretty big, well-known German company with long history. And I've worked myself for a pretty big, well-known German company with a long history before as well. And I think it's fair to say that when you're working for any large enterprise, and especially one that has some of the kind of manufacturing background that Volkswagen have, for example, that they can maybe unfairly or maybe fairly be considered very legacy and slow moving, right? It's not necessarily, or they're not necessarily seen as the most agile, iterative, fast moving, lean organizations. And is that something that affects you, Ellie? Or like, are you kind of working very closely with all the Volkswagen big company processes? Or are you kind of able to be a bit more of a a lean startup kind of within the bigger company? I would consider us a quite lean startup, I, I would say. So we have a lot of freedom in like the things really w- we really want to work on, the tools we use, the ways of working, you know, how we name our teams, what, what meetings <laughs> and stuff we have, you know, it's like very startup-ish, you know. And after spending the last, I don't know, three, four, five years at a, at a bigger company, so working at Ellie now, although it is part of a bigger corporation, it feels very, very startup-ish and very agile, you know. Things are moving all the time, you know, priorities change from time to time. So it's very lean and very like, hey, we're all sitting in the same boat. We are trying to, you know, really electrify your life in a good way, you know. So let's <laughs> get this done and let's let's work on it together, which I really appreciate. And how many jokes about 1.21 gigawatts do you get through in an average week? <laughs> a lot, especially on Slack. <laughs> the gifts coming in are crazy. But that's interesting because you're talking about big companies and small companies and said an intro and obviously before this that you tend to kind of get a bit bored of big companies and bounce to small companies and then you get a bit bored of the small companies and bounce back to big companies and we've both worked for both you know I spent a long time working for corporates before moving into startup world and I obviously have my own opinions about the good and bad of that but in your eyes what are some of the key attractions and I guess disadvantages of, of working for each? That's a really good question and you're absolutely right for me it's usually like when I work at a startup I guess I start seeking more the stability side of things, you know, that it's not changing so frequently and that you more have of like, uh, I guess, like also the funding and all these kind of things. And when I work at a big corporation, I feel oh, things are moving so slowly, you know, why there's so many decision makers, <laughs> so many levels of things, why do you need so many approvals, you know, why am I not allowed to use certain cloud software because of GDPR and all these kind of things. So it's very, it feels very restrictive, yeah, you know, and then I usually, I, I guess humans are me, myself, and maybe humans in general tend to see bad things more than they see the good things, <laughs> which is unfortunate. And I'm trying to change myself for the better. Yeah. But these things usually come up, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay, I have to find another decision maker and I have to fight politics and all these things. And then it, for me, it was like, okay, time to go for something more lean again. And with Ellie so far, it has been a really good experience because there's a lot of really smart and engaged people there who really want to help. And we all have the feeling we are sitting really in the same boat. We're trying to ship the right things together. And there is only at times that to feel once you tiptoe over in the Volkswagen world, let's say, <laughs> that sometimes, you know, there is a bit more of hierarchy there, let's say. Yeah. Or processes to, to be followed. But so far, it's, I'm fine. <laughs> so far, so good. But I'm sure anyone from Ellie will be listening or anyone from Volkswagen will be listening intently to make sure that you are fine and that you're not getting itchy feet already. But you're the head of design there. So we've already talked a little bit about some of the things you're designing, but that type of design feels like you probably need a few different types of designer as well, like people that have got maybe specialties in 
certain types of design around the physical stuff or around the digital stuff. So how big is the team there? And how have you laid that out to succeed in that? Yeah, so I only joined Ellie a couple of months ago. So, so far for me, it's very much looking and understanding what has been done in the past, you know, what is working, what is not working, or what can be improved, and how do we improve it, you know. So far, the team is about 10-ish people, I would say. The company itself is a bunch of, like, several hundred people. Yeah. So, we are currently looking into how we properly staff the design team to accommodate for all the needs we actually have. And starting for me is like trying to identify the actual needs, you know, again, coming back to what is working, what is not working, and where do you want to go strategically versus tactically um, in the short term. Yeah, so it's a mix out of UX designers and looking into hiring researchers, software design, as well as hardware design. And then, of course, we also work with external providers on on certain things where we don't feel we should bring that kind of capacity in-house. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I'm assuming that there's also some form of product team there that is separate to the design team. Or at least I hope so, because, you know, I've got to stand up from a product peeps. <laughs> so is that then a fairly harmonious relationship that you have with the product team that are actually defining the product goals? Or do you have to kind of butt heads with them every now and then? No, so far, it's surprisingly a good cooperation, like the way we work together. Yeah, so we have a product team and R&D team and the design team. We, of course, have a marketing team as well. And then we figure out how we work together. So far, there's no headbutting, which is really good. <laughs> it's really working together uh, on this rocket ship towards the stars. Yeah, we, for example, when we talk about OKRs and these kind of things, we're all involved there. We, we draft things together. We communicate together. It's not like, oh, let's see what product came up with versus product things. Oh, let's see what design came up with again. You know, it's really like, <laughs> not like them and us kind of thing. It's really like we are working on, on the things together. Yeah, no, that sounds like a really healthy dynamic because I think it's fair to say that there's not always that healthy dynamic between product teams and design teams, depending on obviously the culture of the company and the types of people in the teams and the expectations. And I guess as long as you've got that alignment, then that can be really helpful to make sure that you can kind of go together hand in hand and maybe even have those hugs that we were talking about earlier. But you obviously also have a bit too much time on your hands as well. And I know that you've got kids, so I don't understand how that works, like having that time on your hands. But but you're also doing some consulting on the side. What sort of companies are you consulting with when you're doing that consulting? And what sort of stuff are you helping those companies with? Yeah, so mainly I'm doing consulting when I'm not employed somewhere and I'm not actually having a full-time job. Oh, so you're not consulting now then? Yeah, for, for, for now it's like in the sense of, you know, if a friend of mine comes up and has an idea or has some thoughts, hey, can you help me out with something? How do I set these things up? You know, it's like really like having a, let's say, one, two-hour conversation on the phone with a friend, basically, you know, just helping them over a bump or getting them started with something. And usually, if I do it full-time, then it's, yeah, how to integrate, for example, design into a company, how to find designers for a startup, you know, how to make sure that design and product actually works together hand-in-hand, like these kind of things. So let's wiggle one of those teeth then. When it comes to hiring designers for a startup, like, what are some of your hiring principles like? Obviously, it's going to be very different depending on the type of company. But like, are there any kind of general principles that you would sit there and say, right, if you're looking for designers, this is the type of person that you need to be doing that design role? Is there something that genericizes like that? I would say that's really hard. And as you said, it probably depends on the company you're hiring for, especially on the size of the company. You know, so it's only like really, really small company. I say two people, you need to design now. You obviously need somebody who has, who is good in lots of the areas, UX, UI, research 
even maybe uh, it's all the same though right it's all the same it's all the same yes yes no absolutely not and <laughs> it's it's very different and and the part of the problem also is especially for for then more mature companies i would say is to actually realize what design means not just you know like yeah. lipstick service but <laughs> actually <laughs> doing something meaningful and being involved early with research to to understand and figure out is the thing we i usually try to phrase it in the way you know well, let's put it differently. I often hear from designers who say, product people don't come to me with the solution, come to me with the problem. You know? Yeah. Because we as designers, we try to figure out, is the solution people come up with actually the right solution? And then usually I say the most important question designers can ask is why, 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 why? You know, like 20 times in a row to figure out where does this request actually come from? And is the solution which is being proposed the actual solution to the, the actual problem? Or is something else going wrong which has not been discovered yet? And for any company, this is crucial because we want to discover the things first that we can solve the proper problem and not just you know put in a feature, let's say, and figure out afterwards like, well, that didn't really help because, yes, it's not solving the actual problem. But coming back yeah, to the question of what kind of designer to hire, yeah, I would say a small company should probably hire a designer who is good in many areas and the bigger the company the more dedicated or the more specialized a designer should probably be given hopefully that you have enough headcount to staff the team <laughs> properly to actually have people representing all the groups who then can work together from research over user experience design over visual design brand design and, and all these kind of things and would you consider yourself personally one of those all-rounders that can kind of do everything well or are you would you consider yourself somewhat of a specialist in certain areas or you prefer certain areas? I would say I'm more focused on the UX side of things. I can do UI and I can do research, but I'm by no means a, like really professional there. So working for a really small startup, I would be good in all these disciplines. You know? But if you would now <laughs> hire me or try to hire me as a researcher, a dedicated research for a company, I would be terrible. <laughs> well, we won't put that on the CV. Yes. But I've worked with designers in the past who have maybe struggled a little bit with iterative development in the sense that they kind of, it almost feels like a waterfall. Like, you know, let's assume that they get up front of that waterfall as much as possible, like a waterfall where they want to kind of understand the problem fine and want to design something, but they want to design like this perfect flower of a design and then bring that to you. And then the developers are then going to go and develop exactly that and if there's a single pixel wrong or if the color's not quite right or whatever then they start to get very angry and, and start throwing accusations around now i'm sure not all designers are like that but is that something that you've encountered either yourself when you were younger and less experienced or maybe with members of your team that have kind of had that attitude and and maybe found a way to to get them through that or over that yes actually i did i mean there's actually a lot to unpack there, I would say. So, for example, <laughs> when, when you say somebody, you know, uh, like in the sense of, it almost sounds like, you know, the designer creates something, hands it over to engineering, engineering yep. creates something, designer is totally not involved, you know, and then afterwards gets something handed back, like, oh, but that's not what I designed kind of thing, you know? Yep. So, for me, that's obviously directly the problem there is like, well, we should not work in silos, you know? It's like, we are one team again, you know, we should work together and we should, you know, when I was still a hands-on designer, some of the best designs I did was actually directly working with a, a product manager and an engineer, like directly together, you know? Yeah. And it starts off with, hey, I was thinking about this kind of feature. Can we talk about it? Then we all go into a meeting room, well, Zoom meeting nowadays <laughs> with a whiteboard or virtual whiteboard 
and we hash out an idea. You know, it's like, hey, this is the current screen, for example. We have this and this and this, you know. And I have the feeling that users can't find or can't perform whatever kind of action, you know. And then the three of us, we figure something out together. For example, design would propose, well, if they can't find it, we should make it more prominent. Really oversimplified examples, you know. And then product person says, yeah, that makes sense. Would also, you know, align nicely with whatever other feature. And engineer says, yeah, it should be doable because of whatever uh, software stack we use should be an easy thing to fix, you know. And then we all agree on who is taking what next steps. We do it and we check in like the next day or two days after, whatever makes sense to see, okay, is it actually, as we imagine, is it possible to see it as an easy fix? Can we, can we do it? And when can we do it? How, how does it look and does it work, you know? Which to me is the ideal way of working working together, you know, over yeah. creating a design, throwing it over the fence and hoping <laughs> what comes back over the fence is what you actually design, which to me that usually does not work. Yeah. So I guess the argument there, which is a really good one is, you know, let's actually work cross-functionally, right? And not work in silos, as you say. And I think that from my perspective, that feels like a very big company thing to do. Like we were talking earlier about politics and processes and stuff like that. And I guess the argument there isn't necessarily that designers can't work in that kind of iterative way, but just that they're not always able to because of the corporate hierarchy that they sit in. So the the fix here isn't that we need to get attitude training for the designers. It's that we need to we actually need to look at how we fix that culture more than anything else. Yes. But do you think that all designers can work like that? Like if you've been a designer in a big company and as you have obviously in the past, like have you seen designers that actually, in many ways, prefer that more throwing it over the fence, throwing it back? Or do you think that all designers inherently want to work in that collaborative fashion? No, probably not. Because I think it's like how we as humans are, right? There are some humans who are more <laughs> extroverts and introverts. And I myself, I consider myself more of an introvert, you know? So I do not always enjoy talking to people and working with them in person and all these kind of things and having <laughs> a lot of It depends on the person, right? Yeah, it all, exactly. It depends on the person and on the other people in the room, right? Yeah. And then, of course, if there are people who are, let's say, more introverts or more shy or feel less confident or not confident enough, you know, they would rather, I would assume, throw something over the fence or send something via email versus talking to somebody in person and actually trying to work like directly together. Yeah. I could also see it being related somehow between being more junior versus being more senior, you know, because things like this come with experience. You know, you throw something over the fence, you're surprised something else comes back. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you do this a couple of times, you probably learn that, like, oh, that, that doesn't cut it. So let's try a different approach. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But aside from that kind of developer relationship, then I know that you're also keen to make sure that design is really really integrated with the rest of the business and kind of a strategic partner and an enabler rather than just a kind of a service that gets designs dropped on them at the last minute and asked to push pixels around. So what are some of the ways that you've managed to change that dynamic if you've seen it? Like, how can you change that attitude within a company to make sure that the design team are, are really there from the beginning, not just from that development cycle, but like from the kind of problem definition and business goals? Like, is that something you've had a lot of success with in the past? Yes and no, to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> and I think it, it always depends on the, on the company and the team you work in and with, on the culture, you know, because often, well, maybe often is the wrong word, but it depends on the maturity of the company. You come in and the question basically is, what is design understood as, you know? And to many yeah. people, it's like design is making things pretty, which is <laughs> one facet of what design is, you know, but there's so much more. 
talking about motion design, user research, user experience design, interaction design, you know, from user journeys over service design. There's so many things, you know, but people tend to focus on what is visible or visual. You know, you open your, your phone, you have an app, it's like, ah, oh, looks like crap or looks fantastic, no matter how it works, <laughs> you know, but the, the first impression is always a visual impression. Same with a car, you know, if a car looks great or not, doesn't matter if it runs a thousand kilometers versus 500, you know, which is really, would be really great. <laughs> or if, you know, it has a really low maintenance cost or something, you look at it and you decide if you like the car or not. And that's, I guess, just part of human nature. You know, that's who we are and how we are. And I think it's really important to bring that knowledge into the company as part of being a designer. You know, it's like, what is design? What does it mean? How do designers work? How do we as a design function work as part of the product development process, you know? And Product development process, there's already product in there, there's development in there, it's just design is kind of missing, you know, even in the term, <laughs> you know. So for us, it's like very important to be advocates for design and I guess also to find friends in the other areas of the company who also think about the experience, you know, and not just like, yeah. and I'm oversimplifying it. I'm an engineer, I sit down, I code something, that's it, you know, but I as an engineer can also, of course, think about the experience in the sense of, you know, how fast will this piece of code I'm creating here, you know, latency, how, how fast will this load? What impact will this have on the experience? Yeah. And there's actually a, a funny GIF which uh, Toby Lutke, the CEO of Shopify, shares from time to time on Twitter, where you see, you know, real life and like latency. Somebody, you know, opens the door and actually the door doesn't open, it opens five seconds later. And because it's not open that, the person runs into the door, you know, or dri <laughs> tra trying to drive a car. And pressing the accelerator and the pedals, but they only react five seconds later and the steering wheel obviously doesn't work, you know? Yeah. So just imagine having this kind of experience in real life. This is obviously part of the experience. And if you have the right people in the different departments supporting you and also basically on your behalf or together standing up for like, hey, you should really involve design, you know, or can we get some research on this? Early on, it saves us all so much time and trouble, you know, and frustration because I've been in many... In many projects where people are at the end just so super frustrated because somebody decides somewhere based on, unfortunately, a gut feeling, oh, we're <laughs> going to do these priorities and something, something. I know the user. You can just trust me, whatever. You know, so it's like, yes, great. But no, that's not how it works most of the times, you know? Yeah. And then people just follow this person and create something. But... In the end, it doesn't work out. And then people get frustrated, you know? And one of the big, the big problems I always see, not only in startups, but also in big corporations, is when people leave a company because then it's too late, you know? You lost a person you, because they got too frustrated or maybe not paid enough or it was not good enough to compensate for the constant <laughs> frustration. You need to make sure that the people are being involved and that we work on something together which makes sense. And I think bringing design in early on is also a remedy for this kind of problem. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And obviously, there's a lot of parallels with how you might see product management working in certain organizations as well. I think that some of the frustrations that, that you call out, especially around gut feeling and I know the customer type conversations, which, you know, in my opinion, maybe work out one time in every 10 or something like that, or two times in every 10. Like, it, I think any success that you get there is almost certainly going to be an almost like an educated accident, right? It's not necessarily going to be based on the actual decision that was made you kind of just make it work as you go but one of the things that i was curious about and i know that you've worked in a bunch of different companies large and small 
if we're considering having that kind of advocate for design and that advocate, I guess, all the way up through to the executive level within the company, like I know some companies have like a chief experience officer these days if they're really serious about it, but I'm sure that that's the minority of companies. Do you feel that it's important for the design team to report through a certain C-suite member, like to get that credibility and buy-in, or is that something that you just have to tackle from the ground floor and make the progress you can from within the team? That's a really good question. And to be honest, I think, yes, design should have a way to communicate right to the top as, as design. Yeah. Because not only it gives design an equal voice to technology like CTO and product CPO, you know, yeah. but it also sends a message to the whole company. You know, it's like, hey, we are putting design on the same level as we put product and engineering and often marketing CMO, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like we care about the experience and we want to have somebody in charge driving these things and work together with all the other stakeholders on the same level. And I think this is very important. And of course, the ideal case, which unfortunately is not always the case for every company. But I think, I don't know, I have like 20 whatever years experience in, in working in design and I've seen so much change in the last 20 years. So I keep my fingers <laughs> crossed to see more change over the next, let's say, five years that this will become more the norm in, in, in many more companies. Yeah, no, I think. And also in a lot of companies, you don't even get a CPO at the moment. Yeah, the product team will go through either the CEO through a VP, okay, fine, or maybe it'll go via the COO or sometimes even the CTO or you get like a CTPO and there's all these different variations. So just for the record then, like if you can't have a CXO, who do you want to report to? I think it depends on the company and oh, on the person. On, that's a product manager's answer. Come on. <laughs> no, I think you want to report through a person who knows about the value of design. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if that person is a CPO, a CTO, a COO, a CMO in that sense. To me, it's like as long as that person understands the value of design and supports that, it's fine. As a first step for sure, you know? Yeah. But if you are unlucky in your position where you're like, oh, you know, for whatever politics you got pushed into that area, now this guy or this woman has to, you know, also deal with design, you know, reporting through them, <laughs> then of course that's not going to work in the long term. Uh, fair enough. You spoke a few times before this call about poor quality management, and we could probably do an entire podcast episode on that. So I'm not going to ask you to name and shame or go through any old triggering war stories but if we assume that by calling out bad management that you want to be a good manager what are some of the guiding principles that you like to operate under when it comes to managing either your team or kind of leading from the front and making sure that your team are kind of with you for the journey and, and engaged and happy and being developed that's a really good question and as you say i think it can fill a whole podcast if not the whole book series <laughs> But for me, it's very important. So yes, I had a lot of terrible managers in my past. Not all of them, but unfortunately, the majority. And due to different <laughs> reasons, you know, like sometimes it was too much micromanagement, not enough freedom to actually, you know, explore and like develop yourself. Very often, not being there as a mentor kind of thing, you know, actually help people to, to grow and understand more. And I'm not only me on the design side, but really on, on everything, like on the business side, on the company side, on the domain side how everything comes together, but more like, hey, you're a designer, you, you know, if you want to go to a design conference to get better, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> this, this whole facet of things missing. Then even to small things, you know, it's like uh, in bigger corporations, when you ask for vacation days, you know, and they don't approve it for, I don't, 
know how many weeks and you're always send another email. <laughs> it's like really small things, you know, but all these things kind of add up in the end, you know, and you feel like, why is that person not, yeah, why is that person not responsive to me? I'm working for that person, but yeah. it seems like a one-way relationship and it shouldn't be. It should be, I have a manager who believes in me, who sees my potential for growth in areas which I might not see myself and helps me to develop these areas and to make myself better, you know, because yeah. if that person, if my manager helps me to be better, I will be better for the company. I will be better for my team. And for me, I, I really try to be there for my team. I try to make sure that they know I'm always available, that they can come to me with anything, no matter how big or small. I will always be there to have their backs. No matter, you know, if somebody from other areas complains about something, they can always say, you know, take it up with Wolfgang. <laughs> no problem. You know, I will. <laughs> I will fight any battle for them. And usually I say, you know, I'm, I'm there for opening doors where doors need to be opened. And I'm closing doors, you know, where doors need to be closed to, to protect the people <laughs> in the team. But yeah, for me, it's like I, I want to give the people the freedom they need to be their best selves. And I want to yeah. be there to support them and help them grow in all the different directions. And for me, as I mentioned earlier, that does not only mean the design area, but really like talking about domain knowledge and business knowledge and these kind of things. Because I find designers often, again, are treated like, our designers are often seen as making things pretty, but all too often, the problem is bigger in the sense of that they don't have access to the information the business side of the company has, or maybe the product side of of the company has you know to understand yeah. why are we building this new product now you know because oh because we as a business will make so much revenue and profit out of this meaning we as a company can grow and then the money we get in we can invest actually in all these kind of things yeah but if a design doesn't understand that how are they be supposed to be treated as equals within the company and and, and create an understanding of why we're actually building the things why are we actually designing the things we are doing you know and for me, this is very important for designers to understand. Yeah, I completely agree. And again, a lot of that resonates with things that I've considered with regards to product management as well. Like sometimes product management don't get all of the insight, all of the context that they need either. And obviously, they're supposed to be there to be the advocate for the user and the advocate for the business. So it's a really interesting dynamic. And I think something that everyone should try and do a little bit better at. And I think that also what really chimed with me from that was this idea that you shouldn't feel like an imposition on a manager. Like you, you know, your manager is there for you, right? Like if they're just treating you as a part-time gig because they're doing all this other important stuff, then they're missing a whole part of their responsibility. So I think we should all make sure that, you know, those of us that are managers, that we're doing our best to give full attention to the, the problems of the people that we manage. Absolutely. But you talked about being our best selves. I want to talk a little about being our worst selves. Now you called out before this call, dark design patterns as a particular bugbear. And obviously, I'd expect a designer on the side of good to to have that opinion. So like, you know, dark design patterns where you can have a designer who basically tricks people into doing stuff that they want via manipulating their cognitive biases, making buttons bigger or smaller, or making opt-in or opt-out of things the, the wrong way around, all that sort of stuff. Now, I'm assuming that Again, a designer on the side of good like yourself doesn't really employ such patterns. But what's the worst offender in your eyes? Like a real, an example of a really bad design pattern that you would like to see anyone that's done that thrown into the sea. <laughs> yeah. So yes, 
Dark patterns are, are the worst. I mean, they are done for a reason, of course, right? Usually to, to meet certain <laughs> KPIs, let's say, you know. It's there like, you go, yeah. Which I can understand, like, technically, <laughs> you know. But I mean, if your product is so bad that you don't want them to leave <laughs> and hide the delete my profile button, then maybe you should consider doing something about the, the product in the first place in that sense. And by that, I don't mean like for the product side, but like the product itself. Yeah, yeah. Engineering, product design, you know, like let's ship a great product. One of the things I stumbled over in the past was, and I have to think if I can get it together again, was I think it's the Amazon app on, on iOS. And there's this smile.amazon.com where you can, when you buy stuff, Amazon donates a certain percentage to like an organization of your choice. And I think on iOS, when you want to disable the marketing notifications, they basically tell you, well, if that's the case, then you cannot use smile.amazon.com anymore which I find just really, really mean in the sense of, you know, so you're forcing me to see notifications so that part of the stuff I'm buying through smile.amazon.com, you can donate money to an organization of my choice. This connection, I don't even know how to get to this kind of connection, you know? <laughs> so I thought this is really the wrong approach. If you, as Amazon, really want me to have notifications all on my phone, maybe send me meaningful notifications. <laughs> well, that, you know? That's more difficult though, right? Yeah, it might be. I don't know. Because I think there can, <laughs> there, there's a lot of smart things you can actually do. I mean, Amazon has all these recommendations, like the whole recommendation engine behind it, you know? It's like based on the stuff you look at, the stuff you purchase, and then the other person purchases the same thing and offers you, you know, these kind of things. I mean, this is part of the, yeah. the business model, right? Or a, a very big part. So now... I'm sure they can do this for notifications as well. If I put something in my shopping cart <laughs> and I leave it there for weeks and weeks, you know, give me a notification when the price drops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like there's meaningful things there to be done, but just, you know, like this is just too hard for me. Especially like this, this kind of, there's no correlation between like, oh, if you turn this off, you're going to not give any money to any organization of your choice anymore. This is to me like, sorry, but this is, this is not okay. <laughs> do you think they did that on purpose or by mistake? I want to hope by mistake, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, never put anything past Amazon, right? And obviously, there's lots of pieces of advice you could give to a budding designer or someone who's been designing for a bit and wants to up their game. And a lot of that itself will be context-dependent, depending on the company and the stage and the type of design that the designer's doing. But if you had one general piece of advice for any designer out there today looking to progress in their career or up their game, What's one piece of advice you'd give that designer? Oh, that's really tough because, again, it depends on so many factors, right? Like UX versus UI. I think, so if I would at least structure it between, like, let's say more junior and mid-level designer and mid-level and senior designer, I would say for the junior designer, don't focus too much on the design itself, but try to understand the business early on. And for the more senior designer, I would probably say something similar, just slightly different. Very often, 80% is good enough. This is something designers hate <laughs> to hear and hate to do. I know it. But very often, we as designers, we see things in much more detail, let's say, as a, as a customer, as the user. Yeah. But we need to realize that. So very often, going to 100% for us is like going to 120% for somebody else. And very often, yeah, yeah, yeah. what is the return on investment on this thing? You know? Yeah, so, yeah. Keep this in mind when designing something. Uh, makes a lot of sense and I completely agree. And where can people catch up with you after this if they want to find out more about design or maybe talk to you about your dual citizenship or anything else they might want to come across and talk to you about? 
I guess the easiest would be to catch up with me on Twitter, twitter.com slash Wolfgang Bremer. And they can also contact me via my website, bremer.co. Excellent. I'll make sure to link that in and hopefully you'll get some additional people to your 20,000 and counting Twitter followers. That would be amazing. Not that I'm jealous in any way, shape or form. Well, that's been fantastic and obviously really interesting to talk about some of your experience and opinions about design and how we can make it a strategic partner and and really get it to be a key part of the business. Uh, Hopefully we can stay in touch. But yeah, as for now, thanks for taking the time. Jason, thank you so much for having me. It was fabulous to talk to you. As always, thanks for listening. I hope you found the episode inspiring and insightful. If you did, again, I can only encourage you to pop over to onenightinproduct.com, check out some of my other fantastic guests, sign up to the mailing list or subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and make sure you share it with your friends so you and they can never miss another episode again. I'll be back soon with another inspiring guest, but as for now, thanks and good night. <laughs>